with me to the book of Ruth. That's uh, it's the eighth book of the Bible, right between Judges and 1 Samuel. Pretty short book. And I'm going to read to you from Ruth chapter 2 this morning. I want to take the opportunity to wish a happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And I hope that this message uh, will have some words of encouragement for the men here, uh, as well as all of us. Um, as we take an opportunity to honor our fathers on this day, I have what you might call some limited experience with fatherhood. I've actually had uh, six kids, but I had to give all of them back. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we, we've been foster parents, and so I had, <laughs> I had a short uh, amount of experience And it was enough to give me a great appreciation for how difficult and important the role of parenting is and how challenging it can be in this day and age. And and we all have different experiences with our own fathers, uh, some good, some bad. And I'm thankful as we honor our fathers, we are also thankful that we have a heavenly father. Psalm 68.5 says that God is a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. So we have, we have our heavenly father, the greatest father of all. And as we honor our fathers on earth, we also seek to honor our Father in heaven. One who is described as a father of the fatherless and a judge of widows. Being a foster parent, I saw uh, a lot of children that were fatherless in this world. And the struggle and difficulty that that caused in their lives. And how thankful we can be that we all have God as our Father. And I'd like to, as I said, turn and read to you from the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Now, this is, I think, the third time that I preach from the book of Ruth in recent time here. And in all of that, I have not yet really talked much about the central character of the book, that is Ruth, and I'm not going to do that today. But don't think I want to give her uh, short shrift. Uh, We will come back and circle back around to Ruth because she's an incredibly important figure in this story. The book is named after her. But because of wanting to encourage the men and the fathers, I want to look today at another character in this story, a man named Boaz, who would become Ruth's husband. And... Though, uh, though at this point in the story, it's introducing him and his interaction with Ruth, who would eventually become his wife. Yet the book of Ruth uh, concludes, in a way, with Boaz becoming a father. And in fact, a very important father, because of who his descendants would be. Let's read from Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. 
And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? This is speaking about Ruth. She was out gleaning in the fields, in Boaz's fields. Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar, And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, the background of Ruth, Ruth was the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who was married to a man of Bethlehem, and they'd gone into the land of Moab during a famine. And while they were there, uh, Naomi's husband and her two sons, which included Ruth's husband, died. So they were left destitute in this foreign land. And during that time, it says that God visited his people in Israel he, and, and they heard word and they came back into the land. But they come back in and Ruth is a Moabitess. Uh, Mo, the Moabites were the historical enemies of Israel and they had continual conflict. They had a kind of shameful past of sorts that's recorded in the book of Genesis. Moab comes from Lot. And so Ruth comes into the land of Israel in the area of Bethlehem and she's a stranger. She's a stranger. But God in his goodness, he made provision in in his law that the people of Israel, the people of God, it was not their, uh, it, it was not the will of God that they would oppress or be unkind or afflict the strangers that were in their land. But they were taught to treat them with kindness and with generosity to enable for their provision. And... In fact, that's exactly what Boaz 
was doing here. Now, part of the law that God gave to them was that when, when they plowed their fields, when they gleaned their harvest, Ruth and Naomi, they come back into the land at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this was uh, in the spring of the year. This was one of the first crops in the year that would be harvested. And they come back into the land during this barley harvest, and she goes out to glean. And what that meant was that they were commanded in the law that God gave them through Moses, that when they harvested their fields... They were not to harvest the corners of the field. So they go around and they're harvesting and what's left over in the field. They were not to go back through and pick it back up. They were not to go back through. They they were to leave that for the stranger in the land to be able to come and to glean in their fields. So that by working, even the stranger, even someone who is destitute, had no land of their own, was from a foreign place would have an opportunity to labor and to provide for themselves through that. This was God's provision and kindness, even for the strangers. And so we see here, uh, one of the first things we see about Boaz, and I like to look at Boaz and look at his character as an example in several areas that can be an example to men today. As well, to look to this example. He sets a good example of a godly and a a, a good and righteous character that can be an example to us. So let's look at some of what we see from the example of Boaz. Uh, First of all, we see that Boaz was a godly man, he was someone that acknowledged and served the Lord. Uh, First, by the example we've already seen, that he was in obedience to the law of Moses. He was allowing the stranger to glean in his field. This was obedience to God's law. He considered himself someone that was under the law of God, that, that God's word was the Lord over his life. That he didn't seek to live his life just seeking what would please him and pleasing his desires. But he was guided and led by God's word. What God said to do or not to do is what Boaz would follow in his life. He was a lover of God. He, when he comes out into his field, it says he came from Bethlehem and he said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. He pronounced a blessing upon them. And they responded with a blessing. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. He, his first desire, his first thought as he comes out into the field. And he sees his workers working is the Lord. The Lord, he says, be with you. God was at the center of his thoughts. This was not just mere words. Uh, you know, as someone who was acquainted with the law of God and uh, served God, he would have been familiar with the commandments of God. And one of the commandments said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So this was not just trite words. When he spoke these words, he would have spoken them with a sense of reverence, with a sense of the identity of who God is and what the meaning of what he was saying was. 
That too should be an example to us as we speak the name of the Lord, as we take the name of the Lord upon ourselves, as we claim to be followers of God, followers of the Lord. That ought not to be a light thing. Uh, to uh, you know, to take the Lord of the, the name of the Lord in vain can mean you know it can mean to say the God's name lightly or uh, in a irreverent, irrespectful way, but it can also mean that we uh, identify as followers of the Lord, but then do not live in accordance with His laws and His commandments. So we are, in essence, taking God's name upon ourselves, but then living in accordance with our own will and our own ways. And that, too, is taking the name of the Lord in vain. So He speaks the name of the Lord. He blesses His workers. They return the blessing. And we see, just from the brief glimpse into his life and his interactions, that Boaz was someone who was respected, who was someone that earned the respect of his workers and his community. There's a scene later on where Boaz goes to the gates of the city. And he goes to the gates of the city because the gates of the city in in these Old Testament times, that was the place where the important decisions and things happened in the city. The architecture of the cities was such that there would be a kind of uh, architecture and plaza where the elders and leaders of the city would come together and they would come together at the city gates and they would make important decisions of business and economy and administration of the city. And that's, that, that helps you to understand when you see in the Bible the references to the gates of the city. This was where the important things took place. Um, it, and it talks about this many times. Well, when he goes to the gates of the city, he's going there in order to arrange for him to purchase the land of Naomi and to arrange for marrying Ruth. And he goes about this in the way that was in line with their law and their customs and it was very, very important. Now, Boaz is called, in the book of Ruth, he's called a near kinsman. Uh, and this word that's translated near kinsman is sometimes translated kinsman or near kinsman or kinsman redeemer or redeemer. And what this was, was under the law in that time, in order to provide for a destitute widow someone who had suffered a tragedy like Naomi suffered, where she uh, was married to Elimelech, and they went into this foreign land, and Elimelech died, and she was left destitute. Uh, But she had the land of Elimelech. She still had it, but she didn't have the means uh, to provide for herself. She didn't have uh, what was needed. And so it was um, in order that her inheritance would not be lost, And in order that the name of Elimelech, who had died, would not be uh, forgotten from the earth, that he would be able to have descendants that would be raised up in his name, there were uh, two aspects of this law. One was that a close relative, the nearest relative, would have the opportunity to purchase back the land... And then there was also a law, something called leveret marriage. All seems very strange to us in our day and age because our customs are so different. But it was very important to them 
back in those times when being a widow was a very destitute kind of situation, that it was the responsibility of the brother of a deceased man who left a widow to marry the wife and to raise up seed in the name of his brother. You'll see this in the book of Genesis with Judah's sons. Um, And if, if there wasn't a brother, that duty apparently seemed to extend to the nearest relative that had the ability and opportunity to do so, to marry the widow and to raise up a child in their name. So very different, strange customs to us, but this is the way that it was at this time. And that is when it speaks about Boaz as being a near kinsman, it means that he was someone that was in a position of nearness of relative, that he could be the redeemer, that he could buy back the land so that uh, Naomi and Ruth would not be left destitute. And so that he could raise up seed in the name of Elimelech so that he would, um, as it's phrased here later on, when he's meeting at the city gates, it says to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. So you see that um, Boaz was someone that was... Uh, a lover of God and sought to obey the word of God and the law of God and all that he did. Secondly, we see that Boaz is a protector of the vulnerable. He was someone who was in a position of strength because of his position, because of, in his case, his wealth. And he used his strength and his position in life to be a protector of those who were more vulnerable than he was. In this example of the passage we've read, in this case, it's this stranger, Ruth. Now, Ruth is a stranger in a strange land. She's a young woman, and she's going out, and she's gleaning in this field, surrounded by people that she doesn't know. And we see from Boaz's actions that he makes sure that she is safe. He makes sure that she's looked after. says he commands the young men that they not touch her. He, he, he uses his opportunity to look after and to protect the vulnerable. Uh, there's another scene later on. Book of Ruth, very interesting things happen. One of the interesting things that happens in the book of Ruth is Ruth essentially, later on, will propose to Boaz. She proposes marriage to him, or she, she asks him to... to uh, Take her under his wings, basically. Take her under his wings to marry her. And she asks him. She gets dressed up in nice clothes. And she, she goes uh, and, and, and she actually lays down at his feet while he's sleeping. Don't necessarily recommend you know, following this exact example, but that's what she does. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a young woman at his feet lying there. And he's kind of scared <laughs> when this happens. Um, Well, that's a very vulnerable situation that she puts herself in there. And Boaz, in that scene, you can read it yourself. The book of Ruth is not that long. You can read. Uh, He doesn't take advantage of her vulnerability. He handles the situation with integrity and care 
and rightly. And you, can, you get the impression from their interaction, even then, that he really wants to marry her. He's, he's happy. He's very pleased that, you know, he's probably a bit older than her, maybe 20 years older than her in this case. He's, he, he says, you know, God bless you for not going after younger men, whether rich or poor. Um, but even then, even when he knows he wants to marry her, and this is another thing to see about him, he is very concerned about always doing things in the right way. In the, uh, in the way that would be appropriate in his culture and his customs, in the way that would be in line with God's law and God's ways. And so he, he realizes that even though he is a near kinsman, a redeemer, there is a nearer kinsman who would have the right to buy her land before he would. And so that, that uh, unfolds later on in the story, we see. But, but again, back to the point is that Boaz is a protector of the vulnerable. He's looking after uh, her well-being, her good, not wishing to, any harm to be done to her, and doing whatever is in his power to prevent any harm from coming to her. Uh, So we see that he's a protector of the vulnerable. He seeks to do what's right. And he is kind to the needy. He's generous. Uh, I said before, it it was the responsibility under the law of God for the landowners to allow the stranger to glean in their fields. But Boaz doesn't just... Uh, do what is required. He doesn't just do the bare minimum, but he is abundantly generous. And, that, and this, is, this is an example to us, a, a picture in a way to us of the kindness and generosity of our Heavenly Father. Uh, don't think about your Heavenly Father as just wanting to give you just enough God doesn't give us just what we deserve. Thank God that he doesn't. God doesn't give us just what we deserve. He doesn't even give us just what we need. But he pours out his blessings abundantly above and beyond. As David said in the psalm, he says, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of our lives. And we see the abundance and the goodness of God in that he he pours out his blessings. We see a picture of that here. Now Boaz is uh, is an example and he's in some ways a type and a shadow of our redeemer Jesus Christ who's purchased us back from our destitution. Who has married his church and 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 bought us from our destitution, married us and, and, and raised us up. And he's a picture of the kindness and generosity of God. See this here. So I, I've referred to the law. This comes uh, back from Leviticus chapter 23, which, which is a, a chapter that where God is ordaining the various feasts that they would celebrate throughout the year. And in the midst of that, he says in verse 22, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, 
Thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. He ties this commandment to his very identity. I am the Lord your God, he says. That his character and his being demands of them that they act in accordance with his ways. And I don't know a lot about farming. I don't know a lot about how this was. But this is kind of how I'm picturing what's described here. You know, they were to go through their fields and do their harvesting. Go through with their tools, uh, whatever those may have been. Go through, gather up the, the main bulk of whatever their harvest was. And as they go through and they do that, there would have been a lot left over. Um, there would have been a lot left over. I imagine, you know, they're plowing maybe with some oxen and the oxen's plowing through. And I've never plowed with oxen, but I've mowed lawns before. And when you mow a lawn, you turn that corner, you leave something in the corner there that you can't reach with that tool. Well, there's some wealth, some value left over in that field. And if they were just looking to be the most efficient and the most profitable in their enterprise, it would have made sense to send the workers back out, go over everything again, get everything you left behind. But that is not what God tells them to do. He says, don't glean it and don't go to the corners. Leave them for the stranger. I am the Lord, your God. Leave them to the poor. I am the Lord, your God. And it is so amazing. You know, this, this must have been a blessing to so many people at so many different times. But when you think about the wisdom the foreknowledge and the love of God, that when God was giving them this commandment, he had among everything else, he had in his mind a young woman from Moab who would be a stranger in the land of Israel that would benefit directly from this commandment that he gave to the people. That is the love and the concern that God has for his people, even the most needy and destitute, even the stranger. There was a man at this time uh, that didn't want to marry Ruth. Uh, another man, he's not named. He didn't want to marry her because he didn't want to. Uh, he didn't want to mar his own inheritance. Is how he described it. Now she was a stranger. She was known to be a virtuous woman, but Moab was not exactly on the um, high on the list of people that Israelites wanted to have anything to do with. But Boaz uh, sees past that. He sees to her character and her virtue. Reminds me of in the Proverbs. It says, Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And he could see in her, as you, as you see, he says, he says, It hath been fully shown to me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And now thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Ruth had forsaken almost everything. Everything except Naomi. And, but, she had done it for the most important thing. She had come to trust under the wings 
of the God of Israel. She said to Naomi, your God shall be my God. So she had the most important thing of all. And so she forsaken all to be able to go with Naomi to, to the promised land and to serve the God of Israel. Well, we, we, we continue on. We see the generosity. So he was doing what was required of the law, but above and beyond. It says, Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Oh, so he doesn't just let her glean. He invites her to come eat with, with him, with his workers, to partake of the food that was there. So he, he welcomes her. He treats her with hospitality and with kindness. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. So she doesn't just leave with the barley that she harvested, but she leaves with a full stomach and an abundance that had come. And then notice this. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. So he's, he's saying, basically, just let her, you know, she doesn't have to stay in the corner, in that corner. Just let her go wherever she wants. Let her take whatever she wants. And, and then this, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Notice the wisdom combined with the generosity here. So what he's telling his young men is, you know, now, now it was important in the law, that part of the law was that you know, the, the needy could be provided for, but they had to work for it. Ruth had to work. She wasn't just uh, being given a handout. She had to go out there and labor, but there was enough for her to be provided for. But Boaz's generosity here, he's telling his young men, he's saying, you know, take some of that grain that you've, you've harvested, handfuls of it, and just drop it on the ground. She's going to have not just... She's going to have to work a little less hard and have a little bit more abundance for her and for her mother-in-law that she's providing for because of the kindness and the generosity. But then it's also done with wisdom and care because he doesn't do it in such a way as to bring shame upon her or to make her feel any less. He does it in a way that his generosity is secret to her. Reminds me a little bit about what Jesus said when he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You know, there were people in Jesus' day that when they gave alms, that is when they gave generously to the poor, what they wanted to do, what they did, was they would go out and they would blow a trumpet and they would get everybody's attention and they would say, look, we're giving to the poor. And, what, and that does two things. In that case, that does two things that are the opposite of what Boaz did. First of all, they earn the praise of men for their generosity. And that's not what Jesus instructs his disciples to do, to not do it for the praise of men. Why do we do it? We do it to help the needy, and we do it for the glory of God. And we do it to please God, not so we would receive the praise of men. So, that, so Jesus said, don't blow a trumpet before you when you do your alms. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, there's a metaphor, basically, to you know, do this 
kind of as secretly as possible. Don't do it to get credit for it. And then there's another thing that it does is it can bring shame upon the one receiving that gift because they're put in a position where they are demonstrated to be uh, needing dependent on the generosity of others. Now, there's no shame in, at times, being dependent on the generosity, but, but Boaz looks out for Ruth's dignity as well in his generosity because now she can go through and she could glean and there's no one there staring at her as she's accepting the generous gift of the giver. And so we see the wisdom and kindness that is in this. Let fall also, he says, some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and she took it up and went into the city. And so we see that uh, we have an example of kindness to the needy, generosity. We see an example of someone who acts righteously in the examples we have, who protects the vulnerable, who does what is right. And then lastly, it would say we see in Boaz in his life that he is a servant of others, that he serves others. Now, he was in a position, he was described as a mighty man of wealth. He's, he's the kind of person where other people served him. And yet, he lives to serve others. He serves Ruth with kindness and generosity, by extension, her mother-in-law, Naomi. He serves his young man. He works himself. You know, he's, he's, he's not out just having other people do all the work for him. He's out beating out the, the grain in his barns, uh, working right along with everyone else. We see someone who uh, is... a an example, a type, and a shadow of our Lord Jesus Christ who described himself, who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He came not just to be served by others, but to give his life as a service. And uh, I said, the book of Ruth, that one of the concluding events in the book of Ruth is, is that uh, Ruth and... Oh, um, Boaz, they get married. Verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And, w- and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. There's that word again, kinsman or redeemer. A near kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel. And, she said, and, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. The, the name Obed means servant. Obed means servant, and his father was an example of someone who lived his life as a servant of God and a servant of those around him.
There's no more accurate characterization than I can think of when I think of fathers and what they do in this life than that they serve, that they live to serve. Uh, Many fathers, they get up early, sometimes before their children are, are out of bed and they head off to work, to labor all day. Uh, at their work, uh, to earn a living, often that the abundance that they earn from their labor is spent to provide for the needs and the wants of their children and their families, often sacrificing, giving up uh, their own desires, their own uh, ambitions for the sake of providing for their children and their families. And here, we see that there's a testimony in the name of this child. He's called Obed, servant. And he would become, says the father of Jesse, the father of David, the grandfather of King David. The grandfather of that King David who would become the father, according to the flesh, the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give, he said, his life a ransom for many. We have, uh, of course, a human, imperfect example in Boaz. But in our Heavenly Father, we have the greatest Father of all. We have the one who embodies all of these qualities in their perfection. He is kind to the needy, He's a protector of the vulnerable. He is abundantly generous and kind, infinitely righteous. And he sent his son to this earth, not to be served, but to serve. To lay down his life a ransom for me. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you on this day for your goodness, your kindness. We thank you for your word, which... Uh, May it instruct us in these things this day, the examples and the lessons of it. God, we thank you for our fathers according to the flesh that you have given us. We pray for the fathers here that you would help us to be men of God, men of integrity, righteousness, kindness, generosity, truth, that we would live after the example of godly men of old, and the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the goodness that you have shown us. We thank you, God, that you have redeemed us from our destitution. When we were poor and had nothing, spiritually empty, destitute, and lost, that you bought us back with the precious blood of Jesus Christ redeemed us from our sins, and married us. God made us your precious bride. Lord, I thank you for this time of worship and the fellowship we have with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.